Welcome to the Children's Book Author Podcast. I'm your host, Eleanor Page. If you write for children, or it's always been your dream to, you're in the right place. As the children's book author, I'm on a quest to discover everything there is about writing, publishing, and marketing children's books, as well as how to supercharge my creativity, skyrocket my productivity, and absolutely everything else there is to know about how to be the best, so you can be too. Join me as I interview fabulous guests and become the children's book author. Can you believe it? Yes, it's true. It's me, Eleanor, back with another podcast so soon after the last one. Look, I did make a promise to edit as many as I could and I'm sticking to that. But I must also credit, I am working with a creative coach at the moment who is Fionn Evans, who I did interview Uh, gosh, a lot of episodes back now, probably one of the first 10. And Fionn's been fantastic. She's been my mentor. Even though I mentor others, I have others who are mentoring me. And in particular, she's been encouraging, well, she asks good questions. Fionn asks fantastic questions. And one of the things that she's really altered for me is me doing one thing at a time. So even though I might be juggling several projects or different things at a time. Having one really main priority that I focus on until it's done has been a game changer for me. I did used to do that several years back, but then I let it drop and started trying to do a million things at once and often didn't finish things. So lately I've been focusing on that particular thing. I am still writing, but it isn't the priority of my day the podcast is the priority until those ones are edited. And then I'll go back to complete focus on finishing that novel and might do little bits around that, but that'll be the one thing, the one thing that I focus on. So a big shout out to Fionn and when she eventually opens up her doors and takes more coaching people, I cannot more highly recommend her. And today's interview with Danny V, who is a podcaster herself and a writer and also works at a publishing house, Larrikin House, is fantastic, amazing. We talk about so many things, including festivals, writers' festivals, which I honestly didn't know anything about before I talked to Danny. But hey, next year, that's another thing to add to the to-do list, go to a writers' festival. So you'll hear all about that. And we finished the talk speaking about joy, actually, and infusing more joy into our lives. And in fact, I was getting a little stuck writing The Magician's Academy because it's, you know, a five-year-old series. And, oh, gosh, it's a little bit hard to have the enthusiasm that I had when I first began that series. And one of the things that Fionn asked me is, you know, how can you infuse joy back into that project? So that's kind of really been on the top of mind lately. And I leave that with today's very short intro because there isn't really a lot that's happened in the last couple of days since my last intro, other than to say, you know, how can you infuse more joy into your creative process, into your creative projects, even if it's something that you know you have to get done but it might not be quite as passionate as something that's just come here and now out of the blue. We're often a lot more passionate, or at least I am, about some new amazing idea, but old ideas sort of can lose their luster. But it doesn't mean those old ideas don't deserve to be completed and finished. So how to put more joy? What's my answer? I don't know, to be honest. I'm going to sit with that for a few days and just wonder about that and perhaps if I remember I can report back on the next podcast and if the next podcast is in a few days then I'll definitely report back on it but I hope you're enjoying these interviews that I'm putting out this December all in a row and I'll catch you on the next intro enjoy today's interview with Danny V. 
Welcome back to the Children's Book Author. I had to look down to see what the name of my podcast was just then. Welcome back to the Children's Book Author Podcast with me, your host, Eleanor Page. And today, I know I normally say special guests, but I'm going to say I have a very popular guest. That's the word I'm going to use, a popular guest who is on my little podcast, Danny V, who is an author, a podcaster, and also works for Larrikin House as the publicity and acquisitions person. Welcome to the show, Danny V. Well, thank you. And thank you for that introduction. I guess that will depend upon who you ask, but I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things I notice about you is like you're always out and about and talking to people and, and connecting. So let's start there. Tell me about connecting and how you do it. What is your magic? Yeah, first of all, I'm going to let you on a tiny little secret is that I spend nine days of my fortnight with my children, making lunches, mopping the floor, making hat parade, hats, all that kind of stuff. What you see on social media are those golden five days of fortnight, four or five days of fortnight, where I'm doing something fun. So that's a little secret for you. But um, I've always loved connecting with people. I just love people. I think I'm one of those true extroverts who actually gain energy from people. And it's just been my dream to be able to hang out, learn, connect with creative people. I grew up in a household, my dad's a musician, where even as young as 11 or 12, after his gig, he would bring home, you know, all the musicians in the lounge room. I would coincidentally be awake or wake up and just come out and listen. You know, at 11, you don't have much. I didn't have much to contribute to these conversations, but I think it just really made me appreciate the creative brain. It really made me appreciate how important connection is and how important relationships are and celebrating creativity because it's hard, you know, like music is no easier than writing books than creating podcasts. It's really hard having a creative career. But what I saw, you know, the common denominator amongst all those people I grew up with and all the people that I connect with today is that passion for what they do. You know, whether they were published or whether they had a record deal, they were going to do it anyway. And I love that kind of, you know, it's almost rebellion, you know. I'm not going to get signed, but I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. So, yeah, and I think connection is important. I think celebrating people in the industry is really important. And, you know, I'm sure we've both done that with our podcasts. And I just don't think there's enough cheerleaders in the world. So if you can connect and at the same time celebrate other people's creative achievements, better than doing the opposite. It's better than being a critic, I reckon. Absolutely. And I love that balance of, as you say, making it real. I remember years ago when somebody called me up and said, you know, I said hello and they said, oh, my God, you answered the phone? I can't believe I'm talking to the real you. And at the exact moment I was wiping my child's bottom, I was like, ah, dude, if you could see me right now. (laughs) I was thinking that. Because a lot of people are like, oh, you're out this festival and doing this and doing that. And I'm like, wow, people must think I'm never with my children. So I thought I might just start filming the nine days of fortnight that I'm hanging out with them, arguing about why they didn't eat their lunch. You know, we just finished making Easter hat parade hats tonight. They're due tomorrow. You know, all that stuff, which I love doing, but you kind of don't document. I don't like to put my kids on social media, just a personal choice. So yeah, but it's, it's nice to have that balance, but it's funny because social media is really misleading and it's like, oh, <laughs> look at your life. It's like, mm, well, <laughs> Yeah, that makes yeah, it's amazing. So I'm going to start in reverse with you, actually. And and by by reverse, I mean you know I love just following the flow of where our conversation takes us. Absolutely, that's what I I do too. Yeah, we started with this kind of you know connection, and I heard you say the word festivals, and I've got to be honest, I know nothing like zero about writers' festivals, writers' events, like. I don't know what they are, how to get involved, what's their purpose. So talk to me about all of that and how you get involved. Oh, it's in my favourite topic because I just love festivals so much. So I used to go to as many festivals as I could just as a reader, you know, because I just loved the atmosphere. It was like my, you know, splendour in the grass kind of thing. And I think all of that, I was an English teacher for 17 years and then all the writers' festivals and I think all that knowledge just got downloaded in my head and then the podcast you know over five years 600 episodes or whatever just I just learned so much and so I think festivals are a great one I think the first step of, of a festival is going there as a reader you know buying your ticket and just hanging out with 
fellow readers hanging out with the publishers who you usually never see in real life because they're you know hidden away in their special publishing house um, and writers and not only that's how you can build connection but it's also how you know you can learn so much so I've always loved festivals and then when I was signed with Larrikin House for my first picture book. I was speaking to the publisher. I said, mm, I think Larrikin House should do some festivals. And he was like, oh, yeah, I don't know. How do you do that? And I'm like, can you leave it with me? And he was either like too busy or whatever to say no. He's like, yeah, sure, you do whatever. So I'm like, cool. <laughs> so I guess I just I sort of had a little bit of a platform so people knew the podcast most um, people because what I used to do as well with the podcast, I used to offer some services for free just so I could sort of go and talk to people. I'd be like, would you like me to come and just podcast? And most people go, yeah, sure. I sort of then thought, okay, well, what if we came with Larrikin House, we've got a couple of options. We can go as a publisher so we can talk about the publishing industry. So the publisher, James, has been on panels talking about the publishing industry or about uh, manuscripts or what publishers want or about you know anything that the festival wants. And I've been able to either host or go as an author. And so it's just about connection again and contacting people, which I, I knew a lot of them through the podcast or, you know, of them through the podcast. And it's just about saying, hey, love your festival. Is there anything we can offer or bring to the festival? And, you know, I think bringing people together and organising festivals is a really tough and awesome job. And so usually people are like, yeah, great, come and do some assessments or come and host some panels. And it's just such a joyous experience, you know, like I think I've done the whole gamut of going as an author, reading to kids. I just got back from Somerset Story Fest, 25 thousand children embarked on that piece of land over three days it was mind-blowing and just to see and be around joyful kids who love to read and amazing authors who are so inspiring and successful I mean it doesn't get better than that and it's funny because just before this interview I was like this has kind of been my dream just to hang out with creative people (laughs) and just talk about the craft or just have fun or learn from each other or just, you know, trade war injuries or secrets or whatever. Like how does it get any better? So I guess that's that's what it's been a part of going as a reader then sort of wedging myself as a podcaster and then working, uh, doing bits and pieces of work for Larrikin House and then going in a different way. I think it's just about being passionate and flexible. You know, you don't want me in as, as an author because, you know, I've got two whole books out. Well, then, hey, I can post. I've done 600 interviews. Let me interview people and honestly I've got to say you might feel the same I never feel so alive unless I'm on that stage interviewing people like I I forget and then I do it I'm like oh this is where I belong like I just I love it so much because you just get so much out of people and you create those connections and you just find out something mind-blowingly interesting every time Wow, <laughs> like literally, like, you know, I mean, I know I use that word a lot, but I really mean it this time. It's blown my brains. Like it's it's incredible to me, you know, like it sort of makes me feel a bit like, duh, why have I never gone to one really? I mean, you know, you start off saying go as a reader. Well, there are so many, like, you know, there are so many. We went to Mansfield the other day, okay, right near Bonnie Doon, would you believe? And they had their first Readers and Writers Festival there and you just get these beautiful like-minded people from every corner of the earth going to talk about books and writing. Like there's a bit of magic in that, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's like that 11-year-old you, which is kind of like going, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm now living this. Yeah. Were you always living that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, my dad's always, like, he's done music. He, you know, he would be at school looking out the window thinking about music or soccer rather than school. And so he was always a musician. And so I've always grown up that way, either, you know, as a kid listening to his band in the garage play or, I remember as a teenager, me and my stepbrother, when we were sort of not quite 18 yet, but we had nothing to do, we would go and sit at the back um, in the dressing room of the clubs. I don't even know if this is legal, but we went outside and we just listened and we have to sit in the dark because, you know, you couldn't have the light on backstage and we just sit in the dark and, and listen to the music. And then, you know, they would come out and we'd have these amazing conversations and just the energy, I think, of creativity is amazing. And then, you know, for a while I dabbled in music, wasn't very good, let's face it. But, you know, I was in my dad's band for a bit. I did some original band stuff for a bit and just 
for the pure love of creation. You know, I don't think I love writing books and and being in the publishing industry, but I reckon I could get joy from creating anything. Mm, let's talk a bit about that, the magic of creativity and, and hanging out with creative people. What do you think it is that kind of sets them apart? As they, To me, they're like a little, they're like a special group, like that's unlike any other group. You know, like accountants aren't like that. Lawyers aren't like that, you know? I think the two things that separates that energy is passion because, like I said, if you need to write or you need to play music or you need to paint, you have to do it. You know, it's this compulsion that nothing's going to stop you. And that's why so many creatives, you know, we have full-time jobs and do the creative hustle aside and, until it makes us enough money to, you know, have that as our substantial job. We just do it. We find the time in the day to do it. And I think the other thing about creatives is that honest vulnerability because it is hard. It's a tough industry, you know, music, art, acting, writing books, it's all about I think you get rejected more times than you get successes. I think that's just pretty common. And so I think there's that honest vulnerability that you can say, yeah, it's really hard. Um, And then the flip side of that is being able to celebrate the great achievements of people who are creatives because we all know as creatives ourselves how hard it is, you know, and I created the podcast exactly out of that. I was on maternity leave. I had postnatal anxiety. I was in a really bad space and I was at home a lot because I had, you know, two under two and they needed me all the time. I breastfed for a really long time. So they were literally attached to me daily. At When they went to sleep, I was actually wishing I could levitate because I was, didn't want anything touching me, right? So, and I thought I need something. I need to connect with people because I'm not venturing out into the world you know, physically as much with two little kids. And so that's how I started the podcast. I wonder if creatives want to speak to me. And turns out they did. I didn't even care at that point if anyone was going to listen to the podcast. You know, I was like, well, I don't care. (laughs) I'm having these great conversations. I'm sure someone will listen. And so the surprise of actually people listening and, you know, I think the podcast going to its sixth year, I think is, is pretty phenomenal. But yeah, I think the creation is important. And for me, it was really important for mental health. I've always suffered anxiety. It's no longer a secret. I think I kept it hidden for a long, massive part of my life because there was a bit of vulnerability and shame attached to that because you feel weak and vulnerable, all those things. I've sort of recently let go of that. Don't know how, but just did it. (laughs) And so I think creativity is where you're present. And for me, when I'm present, that's podcasting, that's writing, that's being with my children you can sort of push that anxiety aside for a time and just be present in the moment. And I think, you know, I always say presence is a kryptonite to my anxiety. Nothing else works. You know, I meditate. I've tried uh, medication, which made me feel worse. I've gone for walks. I've sat in. I've done all the things and continue to do all the things. But the greatest thing that works for me is being present and that's usually in creativity because even when I spend time with my kids, we're doing something creative. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's really powerful. And for all the people out there, I imagine there'd be a lot of creatives. I mean, I'm making this up. But having said that, I was a counselling psychologist for a lot of years. That's my background. Uh, there are a lot of creatives, I think, who also suffer anxiety. Yeah. I think something about that. I do. I actually have no actual evidence either, but I actually believe this just from, you know, anecdotal evidence, I guess, is that I think the creative brain comes with something else, you know, because I think generally speaking, and I am generalizing here, creative people are a bit more sensitive to the world. Perhaps we feel things a bit more perhaps because that's how it helps us create. And so I feel like I am really not sensitive as in, you know, the usual way of sensitive, but just I feel the world, you know, and I often think that if someone walks in the room and whatever mood they're in, I can kind of feel their energy, you know, and sometimes that's quite exhausting because you're sort of absorbing absorbing everyone else's energy, good or bad. But I think that comes part and parcel with being a creative. And I was speaking to my partner the other day and I said, you know, if, if someone could just detach the anxiety from my brain would it change my personality? And if it did, I hate to say this, but I'd probably take my anxiety back because I think my, my energy to create my energy, I have a quite a big battery. I can just keep doing things and, you know, I don't need so much sleep. I try, I'm sorry. I try and get my eight hours sleep, but I just lay there bored. So five to six hours, it's all I need. And so I think that comes from that energy. And sometimes I have a lot of that 
energy inside me and sometimes that spills out in anxiety. So I just need to make sure I channel that in as much as I can in a positive contributory way. It really does and it's so powerful what you said about almost like that empathic part. I did read somewhere years ago, I can't quote who it was or who wrote it, but it was something like the intuition part of the brain is actually right next door to the anxiety oh, part of the wow. brain. And so the more intuitive and empathetic you are, actually the more prone you are to to that anxiety. Oh, it makes so much sense. It's spot on, but it's actually stunning that it also is a bit like you like you said you're kind of almost your superpower because it does make you more creative because creativity is kind of like grasping at something bigger than yourself it's just that balance you know of not letting it destroy you and sometimes you feel like that it's so over I'd, I like to describe it as it's always there I've come to that you know when I first was diagnosed with you know anxiety disorder and panic disorder I was like that's okay. I just want a cure. You know, I'm a fix it person. Give me the cure. And they're like, uh, well, um, probably it's going to live with you forever. I'm like, what? <laughs> so that was hard news. So I guess I just see it. it's always there. Sometimes it's like in the corner. Sometimes it fills the whole room and you've got to deal with it as it comes. Yeah, absolutely. So tell everybody who's listening a little bit about the podcast if they don't know anything about it so that they can (laughs) find out more about what is this podcast. Yeah, so Words Nerds podcast, like I said, uh, developed out of anxiety and two little children who, you know, I love dearly but wouldn't leave me alone. And so, yeah, I've done probably nearly 600 episodes with authors, publishers, booksellers, agents. We've had spinoffs. We've got Ben Hobson doing a spin-off because I feel like people are just going to get totally sick of my voice so I, I get people to do their own sort of thing on my platform. Ben Hobson does beers, burgers and books, burgers, beers and books, whichever order he says it in on the day. RWR McDonald is really promoting LGBTQI authors, which is fantastic. I've got a new date with debut authors coming out this weekend, which is pretty exciting with a new host. Takeovers galore. Adrian Beck used to co-host with me a bit. You know, he's he's become a really good friend in the industry, good sounding board. I think what I wanted it to do was just have really good conversations with creatives where we could learn and we could celebrate books and we could support the industry. You know, I know the industry's tough, publicity getting tougher, I think. And so if we can just have space and a platform to just talk about books and what inspires them and how we got here and what's hard about it. Books are magical, but behind that, there's there's a lot of challenges. And I think talking about all those things are really interesting. And I don't even know how this happened, but, you know, I, one minute I had a hundred plays a month and now I've got 52,000. I don't know how that happened. I keep thinking SoundCloud are going to call me and say, it's been a mistake. <laughs> There's too many zeros on that number. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like you say, you you worked at it, you you kept it sustainable, you know, you kept it moving forward. Kept doing it. And it just grew and grew and your connect- connections. Oh, my God, I that's going to be the title of your is. podcast. Yeah, it's it connections. connections. And like you, like I, I write these questions, you know, really well thought out questions and I don't even look at them. <laughs> every time I've written 600 sets of questions I don't look at them ever because I just like you like to bounce off people and ask them draw more out of what they've just said or I have a new thought I think the questions are there just to make me feel better but I never use them it's a complete waste of time yeah and what I love about you is that you really play to your strengths so, I mean, I'm sure you probably haven't sat down like I have and, uh, you know, done too many psychological tests oh, I'm actually to thinking, find out mm, your strengths. What, what are my strengths? I'm sitting here going, hmm, okay, please tell me. I hope I don't have to tell you what they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As I say, you probably haven't done the 5,000 tests I've done. Well, yes, I do. And I'm still addicted. If anybody knows of a new personality test, send it through. Oh, I'd wow. Well, if stuff. you can tell me a good one, um, I'll do it straight after this. I'm interested. <laughs> so many good ones. But even if intuitively, you play to your strengths, that sense of, like you said, hey, hold on a second, I'm an extrovert and there's probably not that many extroverts <laughs> who are creatives. I mean, there are still lots of them, but we tend to think of it as a bit of an introverted kind of thing and you've had this courage to actually step out into your extrovert self and go out and connect and kind of like 
get into this world which maybe once upon a time, you know, when you were a teacher, you couldn't have even ever dreamed of and yet here you are now. So that journey from there to now being your, you know, your, being an author yourself, which I definitely want to talk about a lot, and getting invited onto panels, running the podcast, working at Larrikin House, like what do you think led you there? What Apart from that 11-year-old you, of course, <laughs> who uh, was always there running the show. It's really interesting because I think two things. I think the first thing when you say courage, I think, oh, well, it might have looked that way, but it was actually survival. You know, I suffered some really terrible postnatal anxieties I mentioned before. My son was born. It was IVF. I nearly lost him. It was a horrible time. My auntie passed away when he was two weeks old. She was also my godmother. And so all these things compounded and I just, I wasn't, I wasn't coping. I was waking up at 3am having panic attacks, you know, so I did a lot of work with professionals to get out of that space. But the podcast at that time, it, it was nothing courageous about it. It was survival. You know, I have to do something else with my brain or I don't know if I'm going to get through this really dark place. And I think second of all, I think you get to a certain age and you just know yourself, whether you like it or you don't, you just are who you are. I do believe you can evolve, but I believe there's that core sort of part of you that is who you are. And I know that I just get energy from people. I do like to spend some time on my own when my kids go to school and I come back home to work alone. I really enjoy that, but I do get the blinds open so I can connect with the world outside. But I know that I really do connect with people and that's why I love social media. People say, oh, I hate social media and it gives me anxiety. It's the opposite for me. You know, I feel like I can even inside my house or if I'm, you know, just put my kids to bed and, you know, there's a bit of a gap where I don't have anything to do, I can still connect with the world. And for me, that keeps me present and that energizes me so and I also think I'm one of those people who I can't help myself I can't do anything halfway it's like I'm either not going to do it I'm just going to sit on the lounge and binge Netflix or I'm going to go a thousand percent it was funny I was just going a bit off topic here my daughter who's an absolute mini me right I was like oh mom she's like a zero and then she's a 10 she's never in between she's you know taking over the world or she's in a puddle crying and mom just looks at me and goes that's you. And I went, oh, something I'd never realized about myself. And so I think that just describes it. When I decided that I loved this industry and I wanted to be a part of it and maybe I'd never get published, it's really hard to get published. I thought, well, I'm just going to make my own way and I will just interview people and celebrate people really authentically. I'll put a podcast out there. I'll go to panels. I'll connect with people. And so I think it was just all in. And I know that Whenever the anxiety does get too hard, that's what I fall back to. You know, I'll do a podcast and feel a million times better. And I remember when I had my dark periods of postnatal anxiety and anxiety after that, the only times of the day where I could forget about that at that point when I was on the podcast recording. And it was so weird. And I thought to myself, well, if, if I can get out of that space for 40 minutes on a podcast, I know I can get out of that space when I turn the camera off and stop recording. It was just how to get there. So I just think it's a it's a bit of a you either do it or either do something. I'm sitting on the lounge binging Netflix. There's no in between. <laughs> and I think there's an enthusiasm I have for everything I do as well. Like I'm either not going to do it or I'm just going to be full enthusiastic. And it's an it's an authentic enthusiasm. It's nothing's I don't have the energy or the time or the space in my brain to do anything that's not authentic. So if I'm there, it's because I don't want to be anywhere else. So you're like definitely a hell yeah or a hell no. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. If it's not a, let's use the word hell, if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. <laughs> and it's your healing self. Yeah, it is. It's actually beautiful because I've not heard that perspective yet on this podcast and I love it because I feel like it'll really speak to someone that's listening who might go, when I write, it makes me feel good. Or when I podcast, it actually makes me feel good. And it's okay to follow what feels good and just see where it leads. And, you know, for you, it's led to such incredible, incredible places. So talk to me about 
the journey of writing and getting your own work published. What was that like? I've always written and it was funny. You'd think that after learning so much from all these incredible authors and even speaking to, you know, my favourite authors, like Elliot Perlman was one of my favourite authors of all time that I got to speak to him. On that day, I could nearly not press the on button. I was like, I can't do this. You'd think that that would give you confidence. But because you're me, I was like, okay, I can never be as good enough as these people. Uh, so I'd write and I'd never submit anything and I'd write and I'd never submit anything and I'd write and never think it was good enough and it was just this, you know, useless cycle. And it's funny because I'm not that afraid of rejection, right? I, I think I'm like, okay, that's all right. Did like with the podcast, oh, it doesn't work, who cares, I'm going to do it anyway. But there was something about writing that I just – I don't know. I think it was so important to me that I wanted to get it right. And so, again, the podcast just leads me to so many great places. We were doing a Publishing Insider special, Adrian and Beck and I, and we were like, yeah, let's find out from the publishers, you know, why they want to publish books or how you do it. Let's talk to agents. Let's talk to all these incredible people to, you know, give not only us insights but, you know, the audience. So that was a really successful little, you know, spin-off that we did. And in that we met the publisher for Larrikin House, James Layton, and we all just hit it off. He's a really fun guy and we always had a great time. And the next day he sent me an email that said, wow, you guys are effing popular. He goes, I, my phone hasn't stopped ringing. <laughs> and he goes, I, I hope I'm going to get so many submissions now. And I was cheeky and I said, well, I hope you've got time to read mine. And I just said it before I could take it back. He's like, yeah, cool, send it through. I'm like, oh, I really have to do this now. <laughs> so I got my stuff together and I sent two manuscripts through, one which he likes to call parked. It's actually in long-term parking, never getting out. Uh, but the other one, My Extraordinary Mum, was signed. And so it was that, wow, like you, just, you do just have to put yourself out there and it will happen. I mean, it's not all sunshine and roses before that. I uh, submitted a crime, so I love writing crime novels as well, to the Banjo Awards that HarperCollins run. And, you know, the publisher called me and said, you haven't made the shortlist, but you came fourth. I mean, I was stoked, right? Who cares? You know, make shortlist fourth is amazing. And she said, can you rewrite it? 90,000 words, rewrote it. I still didn't get published, but that's okay because that's, I think we all need some rejection stripes to be a writer. <laughs> And, you know, it still happens now. I, I write, I just feel like I just write all the time. And sometimes it's, will get signed and sometimes it won't. And that's okay because the signing is the cherry on the top. Like I still can't believe I have two books published. It's, you know, the bucket list thing, but I'm just always going to write. And so I, this year I slowed down the podcast because I just had to have space for writing because that's what really, you know, makes me, gives me joy. And I've just found this space during the week after I've put my kids to bed, just that space to write. And A, it makes my anxious brain a bit calmer. And now my computer's just full of full of stories and good, bad, long, short, picture books, junior fiction, crime novels. Most of them will never get published, but I guess as long as some of them do, what does it matter? <laughs> Yeah, I love that attitude. As long as some of them get, some of them won't. But who cares? Look, like, most of them won't, to be honest. Yeah, but still, I love what you said. My computer's full of stories. It that is. is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> that is a quote. My computer is full of stories. Full of stories. Some that will never see the light of day. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And who knows? You know, like, uh, but but you're right. Like it's. It's just getting them out of you and then being brave enough to pitch them out. And if you don't get accepted, you don't get accepted. It was a learning experience and you go on and you write the next thing. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, from working a little bit in publishing as well, there are so many reasons why a manuscript is accepted. There's so many reasons why a manuscript isn't. You know, and I've always, you know, I work in acquisitions, but I've always got that author brain going, oh, they work so hard on this story. But, you know, we can't publish everything. And sometimes it'll be just because it's not on brand for Larrikin House or sometimes it'll be that, oh, we've just published a similar story. You know, so it's not, I don't think anyone should ever think that their work has been rejected because it's terrible. That's the first thing we always think. It's just not the right manuscript at the right time for that publisher. It doesn't mean that it's not right for someone else right now or it won't be right later on. It does take resilience and it's funny because I think 
you know, we are one of the most vulnerable people, us creatives, as we've touched on before, but you also need this grit and resilience, you know, so it's this juxtaposition of the qualities that you need (laughs) to be a creative. Yes, be resilient, but be vulnerable. Yeah. And I was actually saying to someone today, I was telling my husband about me telling my son, so I hope you can follow along to what I'm <laughs> yes, talking about, because he's becoming an actor. And I, I said, I said to our son today, I won't use his name in case he ever hears this and I get in trouble. I said about how it's really about tenacity and grit and staying with something long enough. And I've never interviewed an author who didn't say. I was writing for 10 years and putting in submissions for 10 years and then I finally got published. I was like, 10 years? You know, like sometimes we have this uh, perception that, you know, I wrote something and this is it and it's going to get published. But if it doesn't, write the next thing, write the next thing, keep putting things in until, as you say, the timing, the topic, the magic of your writing all come together and you go and someone says yes to you. That's right. Not necessarily overnight. Yeah, no, it looks like it only because it's the first time someone's actually spent the money to publish your book. But, you know, it's not, it's all that time before. And that's why I like podcasts like yours. And that's why I have a podcast like mine because yes, books are magical, but I think it's important to talk about all those things that go into the creation of a book and be real about all those rejections. You know, I think that's important too, because I think the book community in Australia, I always say, is, you know, one of the best communities I've ever been a part of. And I think that's because what we do is so bloody hard and every page has our sweat and tears and heart on it. And so when we see someone with success, we're cheering them on because we know how hard it was to get there in the first place. So what are some of the things that you, as the acquisitions person, looks for when you see a manuscript? Yeah, it's interesting and it's going to be different for different publishing houses, but Lara can have a very specific brand and, you know, I can recite it off by heart, fun, quirky, humorous, pushes boundaries, challenges stereotypes. See how easy that rolls off my tongue? I say it 400 times a day, I think. And so a very specific brand, small publisher, publishing 10 to 20 books a year, only children's at the moment. So, you know, A, have to be really discerning about what we publish and just has to be on brand because that's what the publisher wants. And so, I mean, I'm always looking for those those things, first of all. But it's, it's funny because I wear a, a couple of different hats because it's a small publishing house. So I'm looking for those for the publisher because I know that's things he wants to publish as an old English teacher, I'm also looking for something that's beautifully written, you know, where the rhyme's invisible, where I'm not stumbling over words, where the meter and the prose and it just flows, particularly with kids' books and picture books, which are often read aloud. So if I feel like the the, the actual, all that stuff, all that rhyming and meter is invisible, then it's great writing, you know, and I feel, I almost feel like I can tell if someone's written a manuscript over lunch or if they've laboured over it, you know, and I think that I think the labouring over it, it shows that you respect the craft. You know, I'm not saying you can't write a masterpiece over lunch. I'm sure you can. But I like the idea of thinking, the labouring, the love, you know, nothing that is so amazing to us and means something to us we've gotten it easily, right? I mean, that's maybe why childbirth is so ridiculously hard because the reward at the end is so good. But even like uni or writing a book or whatever it is that you're really proud of, I guarantee it wasn't easy to get there, you know? So I like that idea of of putting everything into that manuscript before you're submitting it. So I'm looking for those things. And then I will, I call the submissions pile or the slush pile for our publisher. And then I'm like, here's your folder. Here's what I thought you'd like about him. You know, he makes those final decisions if he wants to see more or not. But then when we go into acquisitions, then I've got my publicity hat on. I'm like, cool, that's a great story, but how do we sell it? You know, or there's something already in the market like that, or how can this author help us to sell the book? Because at the end of the day, it's a business. And if we don't sell books, we're not going to be publishing anymore. So we need to sell books. It's this process in order for us to publish more people, we need to sell the books that we publish. Simple maths. Even I can do it. That is simple maths. (laughs) Yeah. So what are some of those publicity things? Yeah. And look, publicity is really difficult, but I know when we started selling our books to the department stores, their first question was, does this author go into schools? 
You know, so there's that question is, is the author going to meet us halfway? I don't think maybe there was a time where you could just write your book and go, here is my masterpiece. I'm going to go and have a nap. Those days, if they ever existed, are over. You are, as an author, also your publicist. You know, you've got a publicist who is, you know, you may have them for a little bit or they might, depending on the publishing house, but you have to be that person. And so I think it's working in collaboration with your publisher. And so, you know, pub- publishers, we have some reach, like I've got an email list of people, of contacts, you know, of reviewers and radio stations and TV stations, etc. that we'll put it out to. But the reality is very harsh. Media don't really care that most people write a book. <laughs> They're not really that interested. So I think it's really important as well with my publicity brain on to have a story, if you can, behind the story that you write. So with My Extraordinary Mum, I really tapped into the idea of feminism, of single motherhood, of identity and keeping that identity even after you have children and just being yourself, you know, no matter what that looks like. And so I wasn't just publicising the picture book. I was writing articles for Mama Mag and, you know, Ramona Mag, a feminist magazine that I found online and going to my local paper and and seeing you know what is it that's going to appeal to you you know and other local magazines and so I was just writing and pitching everyone everything and you know some things got published so it ends up kind of not being about your book but you're sort of publicizing your book in a different way so you've got your school visits you've got your festivals social media who even knows if that works it's so flooded with everything I mean not everyone can be a viral TikTok star I mean that's great if you are but for the rest of us what do we do you know um so I think you've just got to be really creative and do as much as you can to celebrate your book going to bookshops again it's about relationships you know like going to bookshops and make relationships with the booksellers before my first book came out, I just sent so many bookshops, just a little gift. It was just a little bookmark and a little tea bag. And I just wrote a note that said, thank you for loving books. Didn't ask them to do anything. And I remember one bookshop um, emailing going, oh, this is very clever because I loved the little gift and you asked for nothing. And now I'm going to buy some of your books. I'm like, cool. (laughs) But it was just, you know, just that here's a gift. I just think it's about being creative at the end of the day nobody really knows. I don't think what works, otherwise we'd all do it. It's kind of about doing everything and seeing what sticks. And in the end, Larkin House, um, I mean, My Extraordinary Mum became one of the better selling picture books that year. And I'm like, well, yeah, I reckon it was a pretty good story. (laughs) But if I don't say so myself, but I put a lot of work behind it. So I think you've just got to do the work, got to do the work. Hopefully it pays off. It has to, right? Right. And it isn't just the writing work. It's, as you say, the promoting work. It's the everything work. There was a time that I was thinking, who else can I, what other article can I write? Who else can I approach? Because you can approach 100 people and five will get back to you. So then you have to think of another 100 people to approach. So five more can get back to you. So it's that constant. And it's also when to start publicising your book. I mean, I've heard a few theories about six to three months before it even comes out because, you know, there's that. I'm probably going to say this wrong here, but I think people need to see things nine times or something before they actually take action. And so it's about, well, that balance between I don't want people to be sick of my book before it's even out. But if you don't tell people it exists, how are people going to know it exists? And I'm a massive believer that there is a team behind your book, you know, editor, designer, publisher, everyone else that I haven't mentioned. And so you're not just celebrating you with your name on the cover and the illustrator's name. You're actually really celebrating and propping up every single person who gave you their love and energy and time to make this book happen. So I think in Australia, we've got this weird culture. You go to America, they have no problem sort of generalizing here, celebrating themselves, which you should. But in Australia, we kind of feel weird about it. It's like, oh, I'm, you know, oh, I sort of wrote this book. It's okay. Would you maybe buy it? And I'm, I get it because I think being humble should be valued, but I also think we should value our achievements as well. And that's why I've been very happy to be a cheerleader on the podcast because it's really important to celebrate people's work. I reckon it doesn't take anything away from you, you know, <laughs> it, 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 it adds to you, I think. And I, I think it was funny the other day, I think someone sort of did something 
not very nice to me in traffic and cut me off. And, you know, you have that tendency to, you know, sort of have a bit of road rage. And I went, you know what, this is very, this is very profound of me, right? Might be the new me. I was like, you know what, I don't want to add any more negative energy into the world. So I'll just let you go. This isn't always me, by the way. It sounds nice, um, but maybe it's the new me. And I was like, yeah, it, felt, it actually felt really good. It felt good to go, I'm not going to contribute any more negative energy in the world today. So maybe I can do more of that. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> That's such a great story. I'll give it a crack. I'll give it a crack. <laughs> I can see the next picture book coming. <laughs> yeah, hey, right, right, it's writing itself. <laughs> But it is, as you say, it's the story behind the story. And I think fiction writers can forget that because they're like, no, I just make stuff up. And I always say, yeah, but why did you make that particular yeah, story? Yeah, where did it come like, from? Well, yeah, right? Why that? Why did you pick that particular topic thing to talk about? And maybe they're not so good at thinking about that. If you're doing nonfiction, the experts are always going, what problem are you solving? What problem are you solving? And then, you know, like I speak to people who write fiction, they're like, no, I'm not solving a problem other than, you know, solving boredom. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, no, there's something so much deeper oh, than that. there's <laughs> more, right? Because reading for eight minutes, you know, they've likened that to meditation, you know, so it relaxes you. And I, I did read this article that said that, reading actually changes your brain because it makes you more empathetic or more understanding of other people's perspectives and I just thought I wish there'd been some measure of a brain and then a hundred books later that same brain you know I wish someone could do that maybe they have I don't know to see how it's changed and I think you know maybe we come across people in the world and we're like "Mm, you've never read a book have you you don't have any (laughs) empathy about you at all (laughs) here have a book do you think like books still have an important place now that Netflix has taken over the world? Do people still, particularly children, really still need books? Yeah, I, I think storytelling has been part of our humanity and existence before any of this stuff has been around, before screens, before any of that. And so I, I do think that books will always be a part, or storytelling at least, will always be a part of our humanity, I hope. And you know, I was terrified my kids wouldn't be readers. <laughs> you know, one of those things when you're a book nerd, you look, oh, they have to be book nerds as well. And I just read that the two most powerful things you can do to make your kid a reader is have at least 70 books in your house. I don't know why that's the number, but apparently that's the number. And read yourself so they can see you reading. So that was obviously no problem for me, either of those things. <laughs> and my son, absolute avid reader, he has a pretty good balance between he does love his you know Nintendo Switch but he's got a pretty good balance between the reading and the switching and I'm fine with that you know as long as he's you know doing well in other aspects of his life he can balance that and I think that self-management is quite important he does need a nudge he's 10 years old I'm like "Mm, probably time to read but you know he, he loves reading my daughter's been a little bit different she's eight and she started off as a really avid reader when she was a bit younger because she found the books that she loved. And then she had this kind of gap where she just couldn't find anything she loved anymore to read. So I've been desperately going, oh, try this, try this, try this, try this. And she's, a, as I said, a mini me. So she also experiences anxiety, unfortunately, at least at eight. I'm sure I did too. I just didn't have a, a name to put to it when I was eight back in the day. But now we have, you know, a name to put to it. And I, I, I explained to her, you know, reading actually calms you. So when you're feeling anxious, instead of freaking out, just try and grab that book in your bag and read a chapter and see how you feel. And so she's been doing that and I flagged it with her teacher. Um, she's got a little sort of signal that she gives her teacher when she wants some time out and she used it the other day and she sat in the beanbag and read a chapter and she felt fine. So I think, I think reading is important for so many reasons, like we talked about the empathy, the other perspectives, but for bringing us back, you know, there's something in humans that we need storytelling. We need to hear it. We need to have our own stories. We need to tell our own stories and we need to know about other people's stories. And that, again, goes back to the connection that we were talking about before. And so I just, I I dearly hope that stories will never leave us and that, yeah, we might have more technology and we might, who knows, we might have holograms tomorrow or something really cool. But I think we also need that real stuff. You know, like I said to you before, the Instagram festivals are amazing, but then when I come home and I'm 
on the lounge with my kids and we're just watching Richie Rich, which is what we were doing today, uh, this afternoon, that's equally as important and sometimes more nourishing because you need those real moments balanced with all that stuff you see on socials. And I think reading is definitely a part of that. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that answer. And you're right, reading. And one of the things I love and I definitely notice as a point of difference when I hang out with storybook people is they they do less gossip and more storytelling. Like actually they don't go, oh, did you hear what, did you what? They're like, did I ever tell you about the time? And I'm like, I love this. You know why you know? though? Because the people they'd like to gossip about, they just make them the villains in their book. <laughs> is that what's going I on? Think so. <laughs> right, I think right, so. Right, right, right. I don't need Do to gossip. A... <laughs> I've just written about you. <laughs> Do you know any of the, I'll call them the villains at my children's school, <laughs> I, I would actually put them in my books as the good guys. Oh, wow. And um, and my daughter would be like, why did you make such and such, you know, the principal and made them nice? And I'm like, to send them that beautiful energy. Well, that's what I was saying before. The, and the world needs no more negative energy. Like you, honestly, you watch the, mo- the the news for five minutes, and you're like, okay, the world doesn't need any more negative energy. I actually had to cut the news off from my life because it was just giving me way too much anxiety. So I said to my parents, if there's a meteorite coming towards my house, can you call me because I'm not going to know because I'm not watching the news. So anyone, if you're listening, if there is some sort of meteorite heading towards my house can you give me a call because I won't know <laughs> I'm sure one of them will be kind enough to let you know fingers 100%, crossed <laughs> 100%, 100%. that's too funny so going back for a minute to where you get your inspiration from to write your own stuff where does do you think that comes from do you see things happen in real life do you have conversations with your kids and think, like, do you see trends in the market? Because that's also part of your job, right? How does that all come together to help you decide yeah. what to write next? That's really interesting. Um, my extraordinary mum came from a conversation I had with my kids and, I don't know, we are just talking about something. And I said, oh, yeah, I went overseas by myself and I backpacked around New Zealand. I went bungee jumping and they looked at me like I was an alien. And I was like, oh, you don't know this stuff about me because I was, you know, just the mum who was yelling at them to brush their teeth every night and so I thought I think a book like My Extraordinary Mum could really start those conversations I mean obviously you know you don't have to be bungee jumping to get the point of the story but just that women and men but in this case mothers they have and had a very rich life beforehand and what annoyed me about media was that whenever a woman was mentioned it was mother of two and when a man is mentioned, oh, football player or accountant or pilot, and, uh, you know, it's not great being defined by your occupation either. But I thought a woman is always defined as a wife or a mother. And, you know, that annoyed me. <laughs> so I thought, let's start with three-year-olds <laughs> and just sort of show them that, you know, mums are fun too because there's so there's such a strong dominant narrative in the world that mums are the sensible ones and we're the ones in the kitchen cooking the vegetables, which, you know, I do, I must admit. But we're the, also the fun killers, you know, oh, stop having fun or you'll break the vase. And I'm like, there's so much more to women and mothers and wives and daughters or whatever than that narrative. And somehow we've gotten stuck in that narrative. You know, there's, I think times are changing now, but I think we could have been very judgmental about women, you know, oh, she's, you know, I always got asked, are you going back to work? You know, do you think my kid's father ever got asked that question? And you carry so much guilt as a parent. I don't know if it's worse for women. I feel like it is, but I don't know. But you already carry so much guilt about trying to juggle everything and then trying to be a good role model and trying to spend enough time with them and trying to be present. You know, you don't need other people's sort of opinions about what a mother should be or what a mother, how a mother should appear. And so that was the point of that book, which came from a real frustration, if you like, or a real annoyance that I had about the world and about how women were perceived. So that was my, you know, feminist rant. But stories come from everywhere. But, but you know, on, on another note, 
on another note, yeah, stories come from everywhere, right? So my epic dad, that was um, just born out of my publisher going, hey, I want a story about a funny dad. And I'm like, cool, tell me more. Let me write it. But again, that didn't get published straight away because I read it to him. He didn't laugh once. I was like, oh, I think I'll go and rewrite that. Um, <laughs> just give me a couple of days and I'll make that funnier. So I did, thank goodness. The laugh-a-meter was <laughs> right off that day. <laughs> I, I love I, that. You wrote it and you went, yep, yeah, no, nope, didn't laugh nah. once. So you I went off and rewrote Like that's brilliant, you know, that's you in action. I was just watching him and I'm like, I'm going to stop reading now because this is torture. Uh, I'll get back to you in a couple of days. <laughs> Is it hard to be funny? Do you find it hard to be funny or was it? It's so hard. Like I find, I, I say this, I, I feel like I've lost a career as a stand-up comedian. It's like my dream job. <laughs> I think I've missed that. I think that boat has well sailed. But anyway, you know, if anyone says, what did you never achieve? That'd be mine. I've never been a stand-up comedian, right? So I tell a lot of jokes, not all of them work, but I, I like to be I like to be funny, not always appropriate, not always reading the room right, but that's just who I am, right? But I think being funny in a children's book is really hard. And I, I'm writing a junior fic. I've just sort of finished it at the moment. Not signed yet, but fingers crossed. And I remember reading it to my children who are great age at the moment to, for sounding boards. And for six months, they didn't laugh. They're like, nah, it's not funny yet. Nah, it's not funny. I'm like, oh, my God. And I know they know what they're talking about because they read all the funny stories, Treehouse, Wimpy Kid, you know, all the great kid popular stories. They know what's funny. So I kind of trusted them. And finally, would you believe six months of writing and rewriting this bloody book, they were like, oh, finally, mum, that's really funny. I was like, oh, that was just the first chapter, by the way. I was like, oh, my God, thank, thank God. Thank God. So I think it's really hard to a be funny without being kind of lame. Sometimes I'll read back and I go, "Oh, that's terrible." It's it's also very hard to get your adult voice off and try and get into you know the kids' head of what they're going to find funny and you know get your adult sensible brain off. But I find writing funny is so hard. I love doing it though because when you when you get it, you're like, yes. But it's a, it's a labour, you know. I'm sure there are funny people out there who are much funnier than me who can do it naturally. But I know Adam Wallace, for example, you know, he we signed him for a second series. I know you've interviewed him. And, you know, he just said, oh, I just wrote this really fast. I'm like, oh, how can you be so funny so fast? So some people have a gift. <laughs> how can you be so funny so fast? I love that sentence. So I just try and hang out with Adam a bit so it might rub off on me. But I just, I also hang out, you know, a lot with people who sort of share a same sense of humour and who write funny books, you know. I would say that I love hanging out with, you know, our little writers community in Melbourne and, and they consist of Adam and Adrian and they are funny people who write funny books and every time I'm, I'm with them, like I kind of accidentally learn something new. Like I'm like, oh, oh, wow. So I think, yeah, it's very hard but it's also, it's also so fun once you get it right. <laughs> Yeah, do you know, I heard a, um, on a podcast one time a comedian was saying that uh, one of the techniques that a comedian uses, can use, I'm sure they don't all use this, is to actually they turn up on stage and they don't really have it. They have some rough material but they don't know what they're going to say. they just got rough material. And actually when they're with the audience and feeling that audience energy, they actually come up with stuff on the spot. Wow. So, Right. And if you think about it, it kind of makes sense because it's exactly what you were saying about how, you know, when you hang out with people, they're actually pretty funny. But when you're sitting in a room by yourself going, what are these kids going to find funny? It's actually harder to pretend to be funny because you're not in the moment of trying to make these people laugh. Right. If you probably went to the school visit and tried to make up jokes on the spot and thought, actually, that one went really well. Tick for that one. So, you know, I think we don't recognise that it's actually really hard to write funny when you're not. Yeah, it's a spontaneous thing as well, isn't it? And an energy thing. But, oh, can you imagine the anxiety just going out on stage and just going to wing it? Like, I don't think so. They do. <laughs> and that's that's one of the things it's a that gift. Um, I, it, it really is a gift. And this this comedian was saying that what he learned from other comedians is 
that they are like the thickest skinned of all creatives. Like they actually don't care at all if no one laughs, but they've trained themselves to just go, okay, that one didn't work. Wow. Uh, you know, next. And they're not, they're not actually going, no one found that funny. Hmm. That attitude is just so helpful. It is. It is. Like you say, it doesn't necessarily come naturally. To, well, look, I'll write that write down fun. in my journal. So if I ever tick my yeah. bucket list off of being a stand-up <laughs> comedian, I'll uh, put that on my list. I reckon you still might get there, Danny. Still might get there. Don't don't dismiss it. It's time. I know people are There's listening, time. going, "You're not that funny. Just stick to what you're doing, Danny." <laughs> I have a thing where I'm like, why do the boys get to be the funny, silly authors? I want to be a funny, silly author, but then I probably am not a funny, silly, oh, silly author. But let's let's go on this rant. Can we go on this rant? Well, not only that, did you notice that the silly, funny characters in books, a lot of them are boys? Yes. And I have a really silly, funny girl who is my daughter. And I'm like, maybe that's why she hasn't found her books because she hasn't seen herself. You know, she isn't one of those girls who, you know, wants to ride a horse and play with dolls. Like she isn't one of those girls. And if she was, that's totally fine too, but she's not. And I'm wondering if she can't find herself in books. And so that's what I've tried to do with this unsigned, unpublished uh, work in progress, Junior Fick, is have that character who is a bit of a goofball who does sort of do really stupid things and she happens to be a girl. God forbid. (laughs) Love it, love it, love it, love it. And I love what you said. Maybe that's why she doesn't want to read because she's not finding herself in there. Maybe, maybe. Wow, so powerful and spot on. Well, that sounds like a winner. Yes, let's change that narrative 100%. I, I know, I feel like every time I do it, I'm like, oh, no, I just said it publicly again that the boys are the funny, silly authors and I'm going to get in trouble for doing that. Well, you know, it's generalising. It's it's definitely not true. But, course. you know, when we speak about these things, it's just a general observation of the world. And we've, we've said many times during this conversation, we don't actually have any evidence for this, but this is just what I'm seeing at the moment. So that's a, that's our little disclaimer. <laughs> Exactly. And and how do you find that the topics in the world around kids' books, you know, they're really sort of expanding and changing and some people don't like that. You know, there's opposition to some of the things that are now being written in children's books. But, you know, the kids, I think, are really open to everything. Like they love to learn and make their own decisions about all sorts of things. So, I mean, that's quite exciting being part of that. It's exciting. I mean, and if you look at Larrikin House, My Shadow is Pink and My Shadow is Purple by Scott Stewart, they've gone, it's gone bananas, sold tens of thousands of copies around the world and, you know, are translated all around the world. And so there is definitely a space for those books which, you know, show you different parts of the world. And I always say to my kids, we have to share the world with you know, so many different people who have, you know, different things going on. I mean, it's not you know, our world for us to dictate. We have to share that, you know. So I think that's a really important lesson. But I also don't want to underestimate books for joy and for pure joy's sake uh, because I think being a kid's hard, being a kid in COVID, harder. And, you know, we've all had a kid who's suffered bullying or has been anxious at school or has had whatever problems they've had. And I just don't think we should underestimate books just for pure silliness and fun. So although for me, my extraordinary mum had this, you know, really important message I was trying to get across, my epic dad is just slapstick, let's go have fun and be silly and see what how many things we can throw at our epic dad and he'll still survive it. So you know, I don't want the fun books to be undervalued because that's what childhood is, you know, it's joy. And I know having my own kids and being a teacher for 17 years, you draw that joy from the kids that you're with. I think as an adult, we can become very boring and very serious because, you know, we need to have a job. We need to keep that job. We need to pay our mortgages when interest rates keep going up, um, et cetera, et cetera. As being an adult can be oh, really irritating sometimes. So writing for kids, hanging out with kids, teaching kids, I think it it makes you remember that the world is full of joy. You just kind of sometimes have to remember and seek it out. 
what a beautiful place to end. But before we end, Uh I'm going to ask you, what advice would you give your younger self? What would you say to that 11-year-old? Go back now and tell her about what lies ahead for her. So many things I'm thinking, should I talk about writing? Should I talk about relationships? Um, (laughs) The first thing I'm thinking about my 20-year-old self is like dump him immediately, right? (laughs) That's the first thing I'm saying to my younger self. Uh, I think the second thing is what we're talking about, draw the joy, suck the joy out of every inch, centimetre, minute of life you can. Life is hard. And I went to this really amazing leadership conference, which was terrifying because he said, there is tragedy and grief ahead of every single one of you in this room. And I was like, oh my God, let me get out of here. But he said, but how are you going to manage that when it comes? Because it's coming for you. And what are you going to do in the meantime? Are you going to, you know, suck the joy out of life. And I was like, oh, this is a really profound moment. So I think finding the joy in everything, you know, I'd love to tell myself to stop being anxious, but if it was that easy, well, I would have done that by now. And also like, woman, would you just submit some writing before you did? Like, honestly, it doesn't have to be perfect. I wrote like 19 different endings because he hated them all before he liked the one in Extraordinary Mum. So it's like just submit the thing. So just do that. Submit the thing and be joyful <laughs> and dump him if he's, you know, he should be, if he, if he should be dumped. <laughs> and in my 20s, trust me, he should have been dumped a lot earlier than I did. <laughs> well, there's so many post-it notes from this interview, but one of them I like is submit the thing, be joyful and dump him. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Danny's three tips for life. I also don't recommend following them all. Um, Follow them at your own sort of peril. (laughs) Well, I've had the best time chatting and hanging out and talking all things books and life and writing. And thank you so much, Danny, for being on the Children's Book Author Podcast. All your links will be in the show notes. Go check out the podcast, Larrikin House, the books, all of it. They will all be there. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I've loved having you. (laughs) Thank you. It actually feels like I've known you for about 25 years. So, (laughs) and we just, we just met. So thanks. (laughs) Did you find that interview valuable? Great. Now be an awesome human and go and leave a review because it helps the podcast out so much. Want to read the show notes? Check out thechildrensbookauthorpodcast.com. Want to find out more about me, Eleanor Page? Find me at eleanorpage.com or come and say hello on social at Eleanor Page Books. Until next time, keep writing and keep learning.